begin at verse 10 once again. Brethren, let us hear God's precious and holy word. Who can find a virtuous woman? For her heart is far above rubies. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her, so that he shall have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands. She is like the merchant ships. She bringeth her food from afar. She riseth also while it is yet night and giveth meat to her household and a portion to her maidens. She considereth the field and buyeth it and the fruit of her hands she planteth and with the fruit of her hands she planteth a vineyard. She girdeth her loins with strength and strengtheneth her arms. She perceiveth that her merchandise is good. Her candle goeth not out by night. She layeth her hands to the spindle, and her hands hold the distaff. She stretcheth out her hand to the poor. Yea, she reacheth forth her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She maketh herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. She maketh fine linen and selleth it, and delivereth girdles unto the merchant. Strength and honor are her clothing, and she shall rejoice in time to come. She openeth her mouth with wisdom, and in her tongue is the law of kindness. She looketh well to the ways of her household, and eateth not the bread of idleness. Her children arise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praiseth her. Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. Favor is deceitful, and beauty is vain. But a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands, and let her own works praise her in the gates. Amen. May the Lord be pleased to add his blessing as we read his wonderful word. Now, we've been considering the manifestation of a virtuous woman's godly fear, her gracious heart submission to her God. Now, we have seen her godly fear manifested in her faithfulness, her unchanging goodness, her diligence, her selflessness, her wisdom, and her mercy. And we now take up what is without question among the most important manifestations of godly fear that can be found in a woman or for a, or in a man for that matter and that is the use of the tongue <clears throat> the virtuous woman is exceedingly rare far above rubies because she openeth her mouth with wisdom and in her tongue is the law of kindness now, we might want to uh, set this off by reading what the Apostle James says to us. If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. So when we come to speaking about the manifestation of a virtuous woman's godly fear, the manifestation of her profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, there is one thing that clearly puts the lie to it, and that's the way she uses her tongue. So it is with us all. A virtuous woman's religion is vigorous, robust, and alive by faith in Christ and through His most glorious grace. So her godly fear is plainly manifested because she has learned by grace to bridle her tongue. Many women are diligent. Many women are selfless. Many women are merciful. But it is the virtuous woman who is rare and with a price and value above rubies 
and who does the greatest good to her husband because she openeth her mouth with wisdom and she displays a tongue possessed of the law of kindness. Proverbs tell us that the foolish woman pulls down her own house with her own hands. We might add to that she can probably do that more quickly with her tongue. So, this message is entitled, In Her Tongue is the Law of Kindness. And we want to uh, consider simply one point this evening. The virtuous woman's godly fear is seen in her manner of speaking. I could probably stop right there. We could all go home and have much to, to chew on. I do trust that the time we spend unfolding this thought would be profitable to all of us. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 10, verse 20 says this, The tongue of the just is as choice silver. And of course... That is directly in harmony with what we are opening our minds to this evening. And may God, by His Spirit, be pleased to open our hearts. We want to receive this at the very core of our being. The tongue of the just is as choice silver. Uh, were we to take the time to look at all of the passages that regard the tongue in Proverbs this evening, we would indeed be here a very long time. And we wouldn't even have to give a, a long exposition the Proverbs dealing with wisdom regard the nature of the tongue above uh, almost anything else. Wisdom, understanding are expressed by the use of the tongue. <clears throat> and what we might show in religious busyness, we can undo in a moment with the wrong use of the tongue. The virtuous woman the excellent wife has learned that her tongue is an extraordinary power, either for good or evil. You have no wisdom. You have not the first Adam, sisters, of wisdom in you if you don't understand this. Whatever else you may think, whatever else your re religious hustle and bustle may be about, if you do not understand the power of your tongue, you do not understand wisdom as it is set forth in the Word of God. It's not enough simply to have good doctrine. It's not enough simply to be able to say uh, with some confidence that you understand our confession. Wisdom is manifest more clearly in the tongue than any other way. The wise woman has learned that with her tongue she can tear down or she can build up. She can wound or she can heal. She can ridicule or she can respect. Guided by the Spirit and guarded by her heart, she skillfully uses her tongue to exalt the Lord, to honor her husband, to teach her children and to teach younger women. Now, those are all plainly set forth in the Word of God. George Lawson says, quote, The virtuous woman abhors the thought of making any person uneasy. But when there is necessity for reproving, or even then, she will be as gentle as can possibly consist with the efficacy of her admonitions. Kindness is painted on her countenance and flows from her tongue, for it possesses the throne of her heart and gives law to all her words and actions. She is a living explication of that beautiful description of charity which the Spirit of God gives us by the pen of the Apostle Paul. He's referring to 1 Corinthians 13. 
Close quote. Now notice he makes the direct connection between heart and tongue. Heart and tongue. The virtuous woman abhors the thought of making one uneasy. What he's talking about there is uh, certainly not the uneasiness that comes when we tell people the truth. Uh, You tell people the truth of the Word of God, no matter how sweetly you say it, they're going to be uncomfortable. But he's talking about the fact of the manner in which she instructs or reproves. More likely, here he's referring to the instruction of children in the home and um, those servants that labor along with her. Nevertheless, that that applies all the way across the board. Uh, I love the way that he says kindness is painted on her countenance. Very often, uh, our beloved sisters uh, overindulge in painting on beauty when what they should be working on painting on their faces is kindness. Kindness flows from her tongue for it possesses the throne of her heart. Absolutely vital to understand this. Now, what we have here is a woman opening her mouth with wisdom. And we want to consider this notion of wisdom for a few moments. Again, remember, uh, the Proverbs are among the wisdom writings of Scripture. And all through these blessed Proverbs, we have the Spirit of God exhorting us to wisdom, 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 understanding. And this idea of wisdom, as we have already spoken uh, on numerous times, just in this study alone, ultimately shows itself in the application of the Word of God to the life. And I repeat, it can be seen no more clearly than in the way the tongue is used. Franz Delich once wrote, quote, When she speaks, then it is wisdom pressing itself from her heart outward by means of which she breaks the silence of her mouth. Close quote. Wisdom pressing itself from her heart outward. Now, that is a remarkable statement. I've got a few more quotes in here than I normally use because as I was doing my studies, I found several of them that were just priceless, at least in my own estimation. And this is certainly one of them. I I can't say anything any better than this, so I just assume let him say it. Here it is. Here's the picture. Uh, This is a, a remarkable and a telling expression. Here is the picture of a heart fermenting in wisdom as a fine wine and then giving vent from the heart to the hearer. Wisdom in the heart. Pressing is the word that he uses. Wisdom pressing itself from the heart. Now, the only way, sisters, that that happens is that your heart be possessed of wisdom. And it it doesn't fall on you out of a tree. It comes from the Spirit of God. It comes from communing with your God. It comes from prayer. Talking to God and having His Word talk to you by the power of God's blessed Spirit. Your heart must be filled with wisdom and that only comes by drinking at the fountain of the Lord Jesus. Now, Instead of explosions of rage, outbursts of hatefulness, being controlled by emotions, a virtuous woman's heart overflows with God's wisdom by the gracious power of the Spirit. How important and how rare. Perhaps if he had left all of these amazing descriptions of industry and diligence out and it simply said her price is far above rubies and then cut immediately to this one she openeth her mouth with wisdom 
and in her tongue is the law of kindness. There could be hardly any expression more sobering. Just for any human being to bridle the tongue is clearly an act of new creation. It is not possible in and of itself when we are lost. Now, when I say not possible, certainly lost people learn to control themselves and not speak sometimes. You can go back and read some of the great wisdom of the the pagans, and they talk about the same thing, learning how to be quiet when you need to be quiet, and learning when to speak. They understood many of these very same principles, and some of them, to a very great degree, mastered it in an outward form. The issue is, the Word of God tells us, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so it must issue from faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Wisdom is actually personified, as we have spoken before, as a woman in Proverbs 9. Wisdom hath builded her house. She hath hewn out her seven pillars. She hath killed her beasts. She hath mingled her wine. She hath also furnished her table. She hath sent forth her maidens. She crieth upon the highest places of the city. Now notice, she's using her tongue. Wisdom uses her tongue here. She cries out upon the highest places of the city. Whoso is simple, let him turn in hither. As for him that wanteth understanding, that means lacks understanding, she saith to him, Come eat of my bread and drink of my wine which I have mingled. Forsake the foolish and live and go in the way of understanding. Here's wisdom, personified as a woman, speaking that which is edification, speaking and calling to that to which is uh, right. Come, eat of my bread and drink of my wine, which I have mingled. Forsake the foolish and live. And yet in the very same passage, foolishness is also depicted as a woman. And using her tongue. It says a foolish woman is clamorous. That means loud, noisy, boisterous. She is simple and knoweth nothing. There's a real connection between her boisterous, clamorous loudness and not knowing anything. She sitteth at the door of her house on the seat in high places of the city to call passengers who go right on their ways. Whoso is simple, let him turn in hither. The foolish one starts off the same way as wisdom. And as for him that wanteth understanding, she saith to him, stolen waters are sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But she knoweth not that the dead are there, and that her guests are in the depths of hell. Now in both passages, Woman's tongue here, either wisdom or foolishness, calls either to life and understanding or to wickedness and hell. And the point, not to press the details too much, other than to say that what we have here is in the personifications, we see woman, wisdom or foolishness, and the tongue calling to life or to hell. There is power in what we say, not in the way that is often taught in the faith movement. We don't create things by the power of our tongue, as does God. But there is an extraordinary power in our tongues to build or to destroy. And so it is. Abigail spoke in wisdom. We have a lovely description of a woman who used her tongue very wisely in 1 Samuel chapter 25, verse 24. It says, And fell at his feet, that's David's feet, and said, Upon me, my Lord, upon me, 
Let this iniquity be, and let thine handmaid, I pray thee, speak in thine audience, and hear the words of thine handmaid. Let not my Lord, I pray thee, regard this man of Belial, even Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, thine handmaid, saw not the young, man of, uh, young men of my Lord, whom thou didst send. Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, seeing the Lord hath withholden thee from coming to shed blood, and from avenging thyself with thine own hand, now let thine enemies, and they that seek evil to my Lord, be as Nabal. And now this blessing which thine handmaid hath brought unto my Lord, let it even be given unto the young men that follow my Lord. I pray thee, forgive the trespass of thine handmaid, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord fighteth the battles of the Lord, and evil hath not been found in thee all thy days. Yet a man is risen to pursue thee and to seek thy soul, but the soul of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of life with the Lord thy God, and the souls of thine enemies, them shall he sling out as out of the middle of a sling. And it shall come to pass, when the Lord shall have done to my Lord, according to all the good that he hath spoken concerning thee, and shall have appointed thee ruler over Israel, that this shall be no grief unto thee, nor offense of heart unto my Lord, either that thou hast shed blood causeless, or that thy Lord hath avenged himself. But when the Lord shall have dealt well with my Lord, then remember thine handmaid. And David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, which sent thee this day to meet me. And blessed be thy advice. And blessed be thou, which hast kept me this day from coming to shed blood and from avenging myself with mine own hand. David was furious. He'd sent his men into Nabal for a little food. Nabal, like the fool that he was, said, David, who's David? He's running from Saul. Go away. David's men came back and said, blew us off. And David said, we'll just go take his head off. We'll just go and utterly annihilate him and everything that he has. And David was angry. <laughs> this was no little thing, brethren. We have to stop and read our passages carefully and think them through. David had been rebuffed at a time when he was in need. And it was a needless rebuff. And in his state of mind said, This is a fellow... I'm going to go pay, uh, make pay for this. <laughs> he was furious. So he, here, here comes a man who's a great warrior. Here's a man who's in his younger days taken on lions and bears. and He took on a, a, a giant. And he's been a fighter. He's uh, had to deal with Saul and his army. This is not uh, a man to trifle with. And Nabal, being the fool that he has has put himself in a very precarious position. David's on the way to relieve him of his life. And when the word gets to Abigail, in wisdom, she comes to appease him. She comes and she speaks words of wisdom. She doesn't just throw herself on the ground and and plead in, a, in an embarrassing way. Her heart as we have just read a few minutes ago, is pressed with wisdom and it comes out of her mouth to David. She says, you've been blessed of God and you're going to rule. And she's standing directly in the promises of God. And you will see over and over when God sets men forth in Scripture, excuse me, when He sets forth women in Scripture, in a good light, they are standing upon the Word of God when they speak. She says, God's promised you that you're going to be the ruler. He's appointed you ruler over Israel. 
Now, don't let this little thing be a grief to you. I've brought a gift to you. I've brought food out. She had put together a a wonderful, (laughs) quick feast, if there could be any such thing. And here it is to these hungry men who are hungry and weary and angry. And this one woman (laughs) comes and takes on this horde of angry, hungry men with some food and very wise talk. She says, now, when the Lord has dealt well with you, remember your handmaid. We've just brought you here some food. You don't want to waste your time on a fool like my husband. And David calls down the blessing of God upon her. Her wisdom diffused his fleshly anger. Now, ladies, there's much to learn here. Very often, rather than learning how to diffuse the anger of the men under your roof or others, you might be guilty from time to time of throwing a little more fuel on the fire. Abigail understood the situation. She sized it up and she went in wisdom to appease David's anger. She didn't even address the issue whether what he was doing was right or wrong. She simply said, God's made you. He's promised you to be the leader of this, this, this kingdom. And you really, once you are in your reign, you really don't want to have this as a memory. And David blessed her. Blessed be thy thy advice. Blessed be thou, which has kept me this day from coming to shed blood. By her wise approach to his anger, He himself said, you've done the right thing and I see what I'm doing. This is why Proverbs 19 verse 14 says, a prudent wife is from the Lord. Ladies, you can deal with your husband in their rude days, their cranky days, their obnoxious moments. And you can just fire him up and get him more angry. And you all can have a good shouting match. Or you can wisely... Learn how to diffuse his anger, right or wrong, or his particular fleshly mood. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. The tongue of the, the wise woman is also a tongue of kindness. A tongue of kindness. The word translated kindness here is the Hebrew chesed, chesed, which means love showing itself in kindness and gracefulness. Love showing itself in kindness and gracefulness. It also means loving kindness. It's translated that way many times in the Old Testament. Others choose to translate it steadfast love, unfailing love. The word law here is also uh, translated in many other places in the Old Testament as instruction. She openeth her mouth with wisdom and in her tongue is the instruction of kindness. Quite obviously, the woman who has uh, the very important domain of the home must know how to use that tongue in a gracious, in a a wise way, very often in situations that don't lend themselves to it. And if you are governed by your emotions, you will not speak with wisdom. If you simply react, you will not speak in wisdom. Remember that one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. 
And that's not easy, especially if you have some uh, unfortunate moment of a husband throwing a, a, a fleshly fit or a child acting in an ungrateful and an ugly way. What comes to us naturally is just to want to put them in their place. But the virtuous woman learns how to use her tongue in a wise way. Doesn't necessarily mean circumventing the issue. Abigail went right face, head to head with it. But she didn't say, all right, David, you're acting like a child. This is ridiculous. You ought to be embarrassed. Look at a man of your stature doing this kind of idiotic thing. What's the matter with you? He might not have been very patient with her. But she didn't grovel. She wisely took the situation head on. Sisters, it will take the Spirit of God to teach you this. But He does teach it. We see it in Abigail. We saw it in the wise woman two weeks ago who saved an entire city. Here's a furious army out there led by Joab ready to level the city. And she says, what? Are you going to destroy a mother in Israel? In a city that's a heritage of the Lord? What's going on here? What do you want? Well, we want this fellow's head. I'll take care of it. Again, she didn't say, Joab, come on, what's, what's happening here? Look at you. Huh. And you, you're supposed to be the leader of David's army? You've brought all these men just to take care of one little fellow. This is embarrassing. She could have put him in his place. It wouldn't have worked. She wisely took on the situation. There's no running away. There's no. This is. A, these are brave women. They are wise women. They know how to open their mouths without crawling on the ground on one hand. And without deciding that they'll just raise themselves up and put everybody in their place. They think the word of God. Both of these women stood directly on biblical truth and made a case appealing. In wisdom. Now, The tongue of kindness, the the tongue of unfailing love, the tongue of loving kindness is so vital in a home. It's absolutely vital. There is a danger of having a contentious tongue, the Proverbs tell us. Chapter 19, verse 13 says, The contentions of a wife are a continual dropping. This goes hand in hand with chapter 27, verse 15, that says a continual dropping in a very rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. Now, the Septuagint the uh, Greek translation of the Old Testament reads this on that verse. On a stormy day, drops of rain drive a man out of his house. So also does a railing woman drive a man out of his own house. <clears throat> we have contentions here. A contentious woman, a nagging woman, a brawling woman, a quarrelsome woman, argumentative. And the scripture said that's like a continual dropping. Now, what does that mean? Continual dropping. Well, that's King James English for a continual dripping. Drip, drip, drip. But many have taken the continual dripping here of the nagging wife to be an irritation, like a leaky faucet. I've even heard those examples given of sitting in the living room and you hear a drip, 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 drip in the kitchen or... Something like that. You're trying to go to bed and you're hearing a leaking faucet and it's aggravating. I think there's far more than that here. 
I don't think that, that the, the scriptures are telling us about a, an irritation like a leaky faucet. Others see in this something far more dangerous. Uh, the Hebrew tends to point to leaky roofs. The idea here is not so much just a drip, drip from the edge of a roof or, or of a, a faucet, which they didn't have inside at that time. John Gill explains it this way. It says, Through the roof of a house which is not well covered, or which lets in rain by one means or another. He's building basically here off the way the, off the, way the Septuagint interprets that. On the stormy day, drops of rain drive a man out of his house. If the house isn't secure, he can't stay in it. Uh, as we just went through this terrible hurricane, there were people whose houses, as, as the water began to drip in, their ceilings collapsed. It's dangerous. That's the idea. Something dangerous. Gill goes on to say, so that in a thorough rainy day, it keeps continually dropping to the great annoyance of those within and which is very uncomfortable to them. It is observed that rain is called by the name in the text because a man is shut up under a roof while it falls and continuing long, he is shut up within doors and cannot come out. Troublesome and uncomfortable as in a rainy day, a man cannot go abroad with any pleasure. And if the rain is continually dropping upon him in his house, he cannot sit there with any com comfort. And so a contentious woman that is always scolding and brawling, a man has no comfort at home. Close quote. And yet others understand this as even a greater danger. Actually, some see this as the dripping, the continual dripping that rots the roof and eventually causes the house to cave in. And I think that's likely more what they're driving at. We had a home in Louisiana that we were selling and we had a, a builder come out to inspect it just before we sold it just to make sure it was sound and that in good conscience we could say the house has no problems. But we had just found in a heavy rain, as described here, that there was a, a couple of slight drops in, in one of the bedrooms of uh, our children, uh, dripping right, right by the window. He climbed up into our attic and over into that area, and apparently there had been a, a leak for quite some time, and it had been running down a very long rafter, and the whole thing had turned black with rot. It was making a very dangerous place for the house. I believe this is what what the, the wise man is ultimately driving at when it talks about the, the contentious woman's continual dropping. That leaking into the roof that ultimately rots and makes the house, the roof, the ceiling a dangerous place. Sisters, with your tongues, as Gill points out, as, the, as the, 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 the wise man is telling us, you can make your house a very dangerous, uncomfortable place with your tongue. Like a constant dripping, the arguments and the nagging seem to have no end. Worse than the aggravation and discomfort, they are a positive danger, rotting away the relationship and wearying the soul. Charles Bridges has another one of those amazing comments. He says, Such a dropping utterly destroys a man's household comfort and wears away a heart firm as a stone. This trial is more fretting because there's no lawful escape. The foolish son may be cast out. The contentious wife must be endured. Close quote. Now, while this is true, and sisters, while you should take this very, very, very seriously, we must point something out. 
Sometimes a contentious woman is the product of a disobedient husband. Husbands, as we studied regarding men some months ago, you are responsible for your wife. And it is possible, it's very possible, that a contentious, nagging woman is the fruit of your irresponsible disobedience to the Most High God. Your wickedness can make them shrews. George Lawson points out, once again, another remarkable quote, very poignant on one hand and very pointed on the other. He says, quote, Husbands must not impute peevishness to their wives without fault. We are all the sons of Adam, and all women are the daughters of Eve. And it would be very unjust to call a woman contentious because of every instance of bad humor to which vexations may provoke her. In other words, there are times when any or all of us may be provoked to a wicked attitude. If a man has a froward wife, let him consider his own behavior. Few women have so little of a heart of a woman or a human creature as to make those men unhappy who treat them with discretion and tenderness. Close quote. In other words, it's possible that you have a wife that no matter what you do, she's going to nag and complain and gripe and argue, and that's a real burden to the soul. However, she might be that way because of you. You might be hearing her constant pleading for family worship as nagging. I've seen it in far too many circumstances where a woman is saying, Sweetheart, are we going to have family worship tonight? That's enough. I'm tired. You going to quit nagging or what? I have sat far too many times and watched women in my office or in my living room weep because every attempt that they make to encourage their husbands in the Word of God is seen as not being submissive, as being complainers, as being naggers. And it's all rooted in their own stinking disobedience. So, we all have a very serious responsibility here. We want to honor the living God in our homes. And husbands, it could be that if you are disgruntled with your wife's manner of address to you, before you write her off as simply being a sinful shrew, ask yourself if your own life is not provoking this. Lawson adds this particular thought. If a wife has so much of the spirit of a tiger as still to vex a good husband, (laughs) his duty is to acknowledge God in this providence and to consider it as a just correction or a necessary trial. Not too many of us man enough to do that. But he says, now, if it, it is the case that you're saddled with a woman, it's just real tough. You need to get before the living God and recognize He's in control of this providence. And He will use this to your own sanctification. He says, This will dispose him to perform his duty to a wife who does not perform her duty to him. And to become better by her means if he cannot make her better by all his endeavors and prayers. You follow what he's saying? This is an incredible thought, but this is a man who's got a hold of it. He's got a hold of something. 
If she's so tough that you can't make her any sweeter or any more blessed to live with, the Lord will likely use her aggravations and her annoyances to you and her difficulties to make you better, even if all of your prayers do not make her better. And these types of things drive the wisest man to write in Proverbs 21.9, It is better to dwell in the corner of a housetop than with a brawling woman in a wide house. There are those who find that an offensive verse. Brethren, it is so. And sisters, it is so. What's interesting is that the writer cranks it up one more notch in verse 19 of the same chapter. It is better to dwell in a wilderness than with a, with a contentious and angry woman. And what he's saying is this. You can't make the house big enough. There's a modern proverb. Some of you may have seen it. We have a friend who's got this on a plaque in their house. If mammy ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Now, once again, this is speaking of those who have used their tongues in such a way as to bring grief and sorrow and aggravation into the home. They become nagging and brawling and contentious, argumentative, quarrelsome. The wise man says, you can't find a place to get away from it. The house can't be big enough to escape it. In fact, it's better to even not be in the house, but be out in the wilderness. Well, sisters, all I ask you to do is to take these passages and read them and pray about them. The heart of wisdom takes the Word of God, meditates deeply upon it, and learns to apply it to the life. This is wisdom. <clears throat> Chapter 16, verse 24 says, Pleasant words are as in honeycomb, sweet to the soul and health to the bones. You live with one of these sons of Adam, it's pretty easy to get critical. We're a mess. Men get animated. They get to talking loud. They start pointing. What are you going to do? Are you going to put them in their place? Treat them like bad three-year-olds, which they're probably acting like? How will you handle it? Will you be like Abigail and be wise? <clears throat> the scripture says, By long forbearing is a prince persuaded. Sisters, it takes a lot of patience to live with sinful men, even regenerate ones. By long forbearing, long suffering is a prince persuaded, and a soft tongue breaketh the bone. I do not usually like to tell on myself. It does help keep me honest. <clears throat> I was not made to be a plumber. Every time I have to work on plumbing in my house, that's a, a great challenge. It's sanctification. I can work on a lot of things and not get too bent out of shape. But plumbing just always seems to get right to the core of all my nerves. It's like a nails on the chalkboard without end. And I was on my day of study. It was a Saturday. And we lived in Louisiana. And it always seemed like something had to be repaired on Saturday. Not Monday. Not Tuesday. Saturday, the day I was trying to finish my studies and preparation. I studied throughout the week, but I usually wrapped everything up on, on Saturday. And oh, it would just irritate me 
that something would eat into my time of preparation for the Word of God. And, of course, we were having a problem. Some, some plumbing problems will wait. Some of them won't. And I crawled up under the sink in one of those cramped and tight places trying to take care of something that I was sure could be done in 20 to 30 minutes. And it was cramped in there and it always hurt my, my back to get up under there and, I, and it was just far enough away that, you know, your shoulders start aching after about five minutes after you've got them up in the air and you're trying to twist and turn and it was all cramped and I'd already knocked the skin off of a couple of knuckles and I was trying to get something that just wouldn't move undone and I was doing what, you know, you, you know this is dumb. <laughs> when you get in there and you're putting all your weight on something, you know when, it's, when, it, when it gives, you're going to bang something. But I wanted the thing to give. I was getting tired. And boy, it gave. I hit my hand so hard up under there and to add, throw a little salt into the wound, as soon as I hit my hand, bashed my knuckles, rust and water fell right in my eyes. And in a, a moment of six-year-old anger, this was a cast-bottom sink, I hit the thing about three times with my, with my wrench. I was furious. You could just hear it all through the house. Bam! Bam! It was a very ugly scene. Very fleshy. And my wife was standing right past my feet, which I didn't know. I was just livid. And she said, I wonder what the congregation would think if they saw this. That was it. And as I put my arms down, and I continued lying there under the sink for a few moments. And I got up, and I got out, and I wanted to say, the congregation, maybe there's a plumber in the congregation. But those words just kept coming through. She hadn't yelled, she hadn't shouted, she hadn't spoken disrespectfully, just a, a question kind of like Abigail. You don't really want to remember this, do you? What would the congregation think of this? And I got to thinking, how can I get up in the pulpit and preach with this kind of fleshy attitude? And it brought me to repentance. I had to repent to my life. I had to repent before my God. It was very embarrassing. I was, it was shameful. This was, this was childish immaturity. <clears throat> she could have thrown some gas on the fire. There's a few things she could have said that would have made it a much worse situation. But she said, with great wisdom, something that diffused the whole issue. And not only diffused it, it broke the bone. The soft tongue broke the bone. And I had to repent. Whoso keepeth his mouth and his tongue keepeth his soul from troubles. Sisters, let me close by pointing you to Mary. Listen to the way that she used her tongue. My beloved mother of our Lord said in Luke chapter 1, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. For he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He hath showed strength with his arms. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he hath sent empty away. He hath hope in his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. Oh, there it is again, standing right on the word of God as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. 
And the Spirit of God fills the heart of a woman who has filled her heart with the truth of Almighty God. She can speak in a way that brings glory and honor to the living God. She can be like Priscilla, used of God to teach a man mighty like Apollos the way of Christ better. She can stop an angry David. She can stop a raging Joab. She can learn in wisdom to magnify and glorify the living God. She openeth her mouth with wisdom and in her tongue is the law of kindness. Let's pray. Oh, Father, what weak and pitiful and oftentimes even embarrassing vessels we may be. Our sin so often puts a stain to our profession of love for Thee. But, Father, how quickly we can do it with our tongues. Oh, how I pray that Thou wouldst raise up a generation of wise women, of women who use their tongues to exalt Christ, to praise the living God, to use their wisdom to break the bone. O Holy Lord, take these things, apply them to our hearts. May we not vex our wives and make them contentious as husbands. And may every sister here examine her own heart by this word. And may all of it be to thy great glory and honor. In Jesus' name. Amen. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle is adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they 
to admit this principle that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.